We're recording on this one as well. Yeah. Live stream ready? Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen wa salatu wa salam ala abdillahi wa rasulih nabiyyina Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in Allahumma allimna ma yinfa'una wa anfa'na bima allamtana waj'al ma nata'allamuhu hujjatan lana la alayna birahmatika ya arhamar rahimin Amma ba'd So the purpose of this Friday Night Reflections uh, maybe some of you are new to Friday Night Reflections but I think most of you are familiar faces we deal with occasional topics and uh, every week is a different topic and usually we present a lecture but this week is going to be something a little bit different as you know last week we had the Rukia workshop Alhamdulillah it went very well I've, I thoroughly enjoyed the, the whole thing um, and I thought a lot of new information was given out if you didn't attend that workshop it is available on YouTube and it is also linked to on my website muhammadtim.com forward slash video at the bottom of the page you can see the link to the live stream uh, on there uh, as for today what we hope to do is to conclude that workshop by answering the outstanding questions now I, uh, I must be clear that we won't be able to accept any further questions tonight I do apologize about that I know uh, a few of you were maybe hoping to get a few extra questions in, but I can show you the reason why we can't. That's why. And if we were to accept questions tonight from you, then we're just going to leave with the same sheet of, or the same pile of paper that we had when we came in. But what we want to do is get through these questions. I have read through them already. I have taken out any duplicate questions, so those are not the, there, was, there were more than them. Uh, those are the ones without the duplications uh, and I've taken out a couple of questions uh, and I do apologize but I've taken out a couple of questions that might not be related to the topic of Rukia or are perhaps uh, more sort of uh, appropriately dealt with by email so if at the end of tonight you did ask a question you don't hear the answer to your question then very simply you can just send me an email uh, you can find my details on muhammadtim.com uh, send me an email inshallah and I'll answer whatever questions that I haven't got through tonight. But inshallah, we're hoping to go very quickly. I'll also apologize in advance that I am going to sort of answer these in quite a quick fire manner. So I apologize if you get a one word answer to your question. Uh, but the idea is to get through all of these and there are a significant number. So the first question, if you read alternatively so that or alternately so that it won't be you will not have just one bottle. The question for this is, in the seven-day program, you have water and oil. So if you have lots of bottles of water, how do you do it? You alternate. So you read on a bottle, blow on a bottle, pick up another bottle, read on the bottle, blow on the bottle, pick up another bottle, read on the bottle, blow on the bottle. However, I don't recommend that you do this on a huge scale, you know, unless there's a need. Uh, the legend at Daima in Saudi Arabia, they have a fatwa against mass reading on water, i.e. people reading on huge volumes of water so they can sell it to people or give it to people you know like sort of people having tens and tens and tens of liters I think just keep it sensible you know I mean the most I usually read on is maybe 10 liters uh, you know if you have to do a couple of families at once then read read in one go no problem 
but don't uh, don't go to an excess. You know, we don't want to start up a rookie water factory of just you know someone who's sitting with like sort of 30, 40, 50 bottles in front of them and they're just swapping them out all of the time. Um, is it okay to do reading in one and blowing in the other? What I usually do is read alternately and blow in all. So as I said, if we have two bottles of water, read in one, blow in both. Read in the other, blow in both. So you've blown in both equally and you've read in both equally. Can you read the surah on olive oil and water and give to the affected person or must they read it themselves? No, you can read and give. And I specifically recommend this for people who struggle to read Quran, uh, get a friend to read it for you, people who maybe are non-Muslim and want Rukia. Uh, again, I would recommend that you get someone to read it for you. Uh, a sister has an issue. She went to London. She was diagnosed with a psychological illness. Um, but this crisis only occurred when she speaks about religion uh, or about Allah. So can we say that this is from the jinn? Uh, again, I think it's inappropriate to give an answer to a case in a public forum, but just as a general vague idea, if the reaction seems to be limited to when you say Allah or when you speak about the Quran, then I don't think this is a psychological issue and Allah knows best. Uh, this next question, I'm going to slightly anonymize it because it mentions a little bit too much about who came and who didn't. But there's a particular Raqi who recommended burning seven date seeds at sunset. Um, what would you say about this? This is not permissible. There's no way that this is permissible. This is very, very similar to the action of the magicians. And I'm not accusing this Raqi of being a magician in any way. But I believe that this person has been affected by the magicians in the treatment that they are giving. And they are giving a treatment that is not an Islamic treatment. Burning things at sunset and sunrise. What did the Prophet ﷺ say about the reason why we don't pray at sunset and sunrise? That this sun rises and sets between the horns of the shaitan. And likewise, we know that the pagans worship Allah by burning things at sunrise and sunset. So there's absolutely no way that we would ever sanction the burning of objects at sunrise or sunset for the purpose of Rukia. And the Raqi should be given advice and, uh, you know, and so on and so forth. Can we use or benefit from the Muslim jinn? No. Uh, the ayat regarding seeking help from the jinn and interaction with the jinn are general. They apply to all of the jinn, including the Muslim jinn. Of course, the Muslim jinn are our brothers in Islam. Uh, and we don't have anything against them. We make dua for them and we wish them well. But at the same time, we do not need or want to have any cooperation between us and them. I'll tell you a story that happened to me very briefly. Uh, we were reading upon a brother and I was upstairs. My rookie partner was reading upon him. And the brother stopped in the middle of a very severe rookie reaction and said, Wa alaykum as salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Indian subcontinent have been severely harmed by working with good jinn. First of all, Allah said, How can you make clear when you can't see the person you're talking to? How can you know whether they are Muslim or not? How can you judge whether they are truthful in what they are saying or not? You can't. And therefore, my advice is don't get involved. Make dua for them, give them a salam, reply to when they have a jinn problem. This is quite common. Just because you've gained weight does not mean that you have a jinn issue, especially to the sisters. 
However, it isn't uncommon, if I can use a double negative and say that it's not uncommon to uh, see patients that have a gin problem struggle with weight gain. Uh, weight loss can also be caused uh, by a different kind of process of them, particularly of them uh, causing difficulty for people to eat. And again, psychological disorders are, can also be trapped by rukia. So there's nothing wrong with you treating anorexia and bulimia with rukia, whether it is from the jinn or not from the jinn. And many of these, he said, ayn does not affect the object, but it affects the relationship of the owner with the object. So your car breaks down because someone is jealous of you having that car. They're not jealous of the car. They don't wish, oh, I wish I could be a BMW. You know, they're not jealous of the car. They're jealous of you having the car. Therefore, the ruqya is done upon the owner and not upon the object. This is what our Shaykh said to us when we asked this question. And in any case, I would add to that that we don't know of any evidence for doing ruqya upon objects. Is black magic done through a jinn? By doing self-ruqya, how do we know who did the magic or what to destroy? As for the first question, you can find the answer to that in the Rukia workshop, uh, which was done in the UK with Abu Ibrahim. Uh, I mentioned that it was a prerequisite of attending the, uh, the course to listen to that workshop. And in there, we explain all of how black magic works. Uh, by doing self-Rukia, how do we know who did the magic or where and what to destroy? That's an excellent question. And the answer is, don't concern yourself with this. Don't concern yourself with who did it because you will open the door for the shaitan to lie to you. It was your mother-in-law, straight away. Then it starts, you know, my mother-in-law is a sahira. She did sihr to me. Why? Because the person is looking for who? And the shaitan is just giving it to you on a plate. He says, it's, you know, I'll confess, I'll confess. I swear it was your mother-in-law. Say, confess all you like. I'm not interested in your confession. Just leave. Don't listen to them. Wahua kathub. He is the greatest of liars. Don't listen to what they say about who did the magic, where the magic is. I told you about a case of mine where they dug the garden up in Pakistan. Where they brought a proper digger, you know, a JCB, and they dug the whole garden up based on what the jinn said. It didn't produce any tangible results. So my answer is, no. okay, yes, the jinn can give you information about where the magic is, but you wait until that information is concrete before you get up. You know, I don't get up unless it happens at least, you know, like at least it's, you know, there's a clear evidence for it. Otherwise, I wouldn't even get up off my seat for it, you know, because they just lie. And they, and once they know that you're not going to move, you know, for example, the jinni that's about to leave and says, I'll tell you the magic is here and then leaves. This is a lot more convincing than the one who, after one ayah of Surah Al-Fatiha, says, okay, I'll tell you where the magic is, you know, and then straight away, you, you see that they are lying, they're not telling the truth. So be super careful about what you believe in uh, with them. Uh, and especially regarding the, uh, the last part of the question, where and what to destroy, this question came frequently. And we remind everyone that it is not necessary always to destroy the magic to break the spell. You can break the spell through two means, destroying the contract or through rukia upon the patient and removing the jinn that have been sent to enforce that contract. Both of them work. The Prophet ﷺ, with his case of magic, did not destroy the Tawis. He had Rukia done upon him by Jibreel السلام, and he did Rukia upon himself وسلم, and the magic spell was broken through Rukia upon the patient, not through the Tawis.
as he said to Aisha, as for me, Allah has cured me from it. I.e. I have no need to, because Aisha said, Afala ahraqtahu ya Rasulullah. Why do you not burn it, O Messenger of Allah? He said, as for me, Allah has cured me from it. Or as he said, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And this is a clear evidence that you don't always need to remove the ta'weed. If you have the ta'weed, it's always easier to get the magic that way because it's a, a 10 minute job. Ruqya might be a 10 month job and getting rid of the ta'weed might be a 10 minute job. But wait until the ta'weed is literally in your hands before you stop the, the, the ruqya. And bear in mind what I said about one month of ruqya after the patient has been cured to make sure that there are no outstanding conditions. I have a problem with my daughter, age 13. She repeats the word Bismillah loudly many times. She repeats wudu several times. Uh, and even when I tell her not to do so, she does so subconsciously. Is something wrong? Certainly something is wrong. Um, there's no certain evidence there that we're dealing with a jinn case, although we might be. What there is evidence for is waswasa. Now, waswasa may be because of jinn possession, magic, etc. It may be because of the external influence of the shaitan, which is what you and I get all the time. So you and I have sort of external influence, you know, shaitan whispering uh, in the salah, in the wudu, etc. This is normal for every single Muslim. And that kind of whispering that the shaitan does uh, is something that you can treat independently with ruqya and with adhkar and other things. Uh, if you go on my website and have a look at the article on waswasa, you might get some ideas from that, inshallah. Not a guaranteed Rukia case, but certainly well worth using Rukia as part of the solution. If someone is too lazy to do Rukia on themselves, would it be effective if his wife recited upon him? Yes, and sometimes when a person is too lazy, sometimes this laziness is coming from the jinn. Now, I'm not saying the person isn't blameworthy. We clarified the person is probably also blameworthy. However, it may help to have someone start it so that they can you know, gain the energy to be able to finish it. Why do we blow or spit while doing ruqya? Because this is how the Prophet ﷺ taught us to do. And at the end of the day, the simple answer to why we do anything in Islam is following the sunnah of the Messenger ﷺ. And some of the scholars said ruqya is held on the breath. You know that the, the effect of that ruqya gathers together in the mouth of the raqi and when you blow, it has a profound effect on transferring that to the patient. How does that work? That knowledge is with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but we know that it is well established from the sunnah of the Prophet and you can refer to the notes section of muhammadtim.com in their Quran is a cure and you can read the ahadith about blowing and spitting there. Is there any risk of the jinn jumping uh, from a body to the raqi, especially if they are a new raqi? Um, nothing is zero risk, let's be honest. You know, I once uh, had a very lovely conversation with a, a good friend of mine who's a consultant in emergency medicine. And uh, he said to me, uh, Tim, there is no medicine that doesn't have a risk or a side effect. And at the end of the day, you know, we said that one of the virtues of the Quran is it has no side effects. Uh, but the reality is there's nothing that doesn't have, you know, there's nothing that is zero risk. There's always a risk of a minor affliction and a problem. But if you, you know, I'll be honest with you. As a Raqi, you are the least likely person to be affected. Because you are, by default, reading your adhkar, doing loads of ruqya, Baqarah probably 
once a day at least by the number of people you're reading upon you're you know you're in touch with the mushaf making loads of dua you're automatically doing everything the patient should be doing so it is a lot less likely that you're going to be affected and i, I might have told this story before uh, me and me and my uh, my uh, rukia partner we used to do rukia in the masjid and uh, one day after fajr we heard a story of one of the brothers that he came to pray fajr in the masjid and the masjid is quite quiet it's quite in a quiet area there's not many people pray there and while he was praying at fajr the doors started banging and the footsteps up those stairs and you know they were really messing around with him so he ran out of the masjid and he told me this story and I said to him, Akhi, one thing I just don't understand, Wallah. You ran out of the safest place for you in the whole world. The one place where you have the protection of Allah, the angels, the safety, the, the, the peace and, and the, all of the things you need. And you ran out of there onto the street. And then he looked at me and he kind of realized that, subhanAllah, Actually, I was in a very safe place and, you know, subhanAllah, I reacted to it and I, I left. But actually, subhanAllah, he was in the masjid. He was in a very, very safe place. He had come to pray Fajr. Whoever prays Fajr in the jama'ah is in the protection of Allah for the rest of the day. SubhanAllah, he was, he was in a safe place, but he, he left the safe place, subhanAllah. And this is from the plot of the shaitan. So, subhanAllah, at the end of the day, uh, we say that the raqi is, inshaAllah, that from one angle, the least likely of the people to be affected. From the other angle, the increased exposure to people who have jinn problems means you are likely to receive some side effects. At the end of the day, you are fighting in the way of Allah. Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah said this is from a'zamul jihad fi sabilillah, from the highest form of jihad fi sabilillah. When you fight in the way of Allah, you expect to be injured, you expect to have some uh, pain, some difficulties, some hardship. So inshallah there is no, you know, you shouldn't be surprised if you have some pokes and pains, some headaches, some stomach pains, you come home, you can't sleep, you get some nightmares. This is all part of your mujahada, all part of your fighting against the shaitan to make the word of Allah the highest and the word of the magicians and the shayateen the lowest. That is our aim in Rukia. To make the word of Allah the highest and the word of those who disbelieve from the magicians and the shayateen the lowest. And so at the end of the day, you shouldn't be surprised if you have some effect. But this is a minor effect, small amount of reading, you know, a, a day's worth of rukia, a quick zamzam, a little bit of honey and black seed, and your problem is gone away. Ta'ala. Uh, as for is jumping common, very rare. You know, this is one like scare, your horror story they tell every new Raqi, you know. You'll get a jinn jump into your body. This is very rare. If the person is doing Rukia according to the Sunnah, this is what I would say, Nadir, it's almost unheard of. But I can't say it never happens. Can Rukia be used to treat certain habits, such as uh, people committing sins, sisters not, you know, she's wearing makeup, going outside, not wearing hijab. Can we treat that with Rukia? In general, we have to be careful to use every means that is being given to us for the right job. And at the end of the day, uh, this, what it needs, or, or what the Sunnah of the Prophet is, is admonition. And speaking to them and advising them and helping them. If they are doing it because of waswasa from shaitan, 
because of a, you know, a sickness in the heart, because of something that's possibly. But I would say that this, don't, don't get distracted. What this needs is admonition and advice. Can you explain how does the exorcism of the Christian and Bible work? We had this very common question. We did answer it, I believe, on the day, but I will just answer it one more time. Uh, very, very simple. Uh, it works essentially through two ways. Number one, the shaitan has one overriding goal. To make you from the people of Jahannam khalidina fiha abad al-abad. That is the goal of shaitan. You go to Jahannam forever. Along comes the Christian priest and says, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to leave. The jinn says, look, if I stay here, they're probably going to die on Islam. Most likely they're going to die with pain and suffering, but they'll die in Islam. If I leave, they'll convert to Christianity. Simple job, stay here and work for the rest of my life or leave and get the job done instantly. So the jinn leaves and the person converts to Christianity and the job of the jinn and the shaitan in that regard is done to make them from Ashab and nar from the people of the hellfire. The second way that it works is a lot of these people are involved in the jinn themselves. Uh, we saw a priest in Egypt uh, touching people with a cross and they would be exercised. Uh, when I looked at what he was doing, it was very clear that he himself was commanding shayateen. He himself was a magician who was commanding shaitan. Very obvious, all of the signs were there, the reactions, the look, everything, the movement was completely consistent with a magician. And he was simply just doing his magic by waving a, a cross around. Obviously in secret he's prostrating to shaitan, worshipping shaitan, and then he's going around with his cross and touching the neck. And all of these people are mass converting to Christianity. We say that subhanAllah, the saddest thing is, give them six months and they won't even get over the Rukia problem. Usually the problem will come back. Why? Because the shaitan never keeps his promise. You make a pact with shaitan that I'll convert to this religion, I'll become Hindu, you leave. Shaitan will leave. Six months later he'll come back and say, see, now I, got my, I have my cake and I eat it. You left your religion and you still have a problem. Subhanallah. So we should not fall into these tricks. The, the Quran and Islam is the only treatment that works without re relapse, without disbelief, without any sihar and evil that is a pure and wholesome treatment that has no side effects and no problems to the person. It raises them in Iman and it gives them a permanent lasting cure. Is constant twitching of the eyes from the shaitan? Again, the simple answer we're going to give you is not necessarily. Constant twitching of the eyes can, could well be a medical problem. You should definitely go and see an optometrist and find out if you have some sort of medical problem, tiredness, etc. If it is in addition to other symptoms, the frequent nightmares, a reaction to the Quran, all of this other stuff, then it's quite possible that you should look to Rukia. And if you're not getting anywhere with the optometrist, then it doesn't hurt to do Rukia either. Likewise, prophetic medicine, such as uh, truffle water, for the eye, if you want to know how to use that, I have an article on my blog, muhammadtim.com forward slash blog. On there, there is an article on how to use truffle water. And uh, one of the things that truffle water is used for is an eye drop. Uh, and it cures the, the problem of the eye. And likewise, al-kuhl. Uh, using uh, al-kuhl, uh, this uh, coal stuff, uh, black sort of ithmid uh, uh, sort of uh, put on the on the base of the eyes before you go to sleep and this strengthens the eye and maybe this will also stop the twitching so this is an example of 
real, uh, of, of worldly medicine, prophetic medicine, and Rukia all together, working together. Uh, I'll come to that one. That one's a little bit longer. Okay. Uh, can we read to, for the seven-day detox for two people at once? Yes, you can read for multiple people at once, but don't make it into a, into a factory and a business. Uh, is it necessary to find magic to cure the person? I think we've answered that. There are two ways to do that. It's not necessary. Uh, when we read the Quran and blow the spittle on our hand, what do we do with the spittle? Um, I think maybe there's a confusion. The confusion is I showed blowing spittle on the hand because I didn't want to spit on the first row of the audience. In a real Rukia scenario, you would blow the spittle upon the patient. You would blow the spittle upon the patient, not upon your hand. If you blow it upon your hand, you can put it on the place of pain and rub it on the place of pain, but otherwise you blow it over the patient. Is it correct to say one of Allah's names several times, Ya Mumid, Ya Mumid, Ya Mumid, Ya Mumid, seven times for seven days? Absolutely not. This is bid'ah, muhtatha, and it has no evidence for it at all, and it will not help in the cure whatsoever. Because of the hadith of Aisha, man amila amila laysa alayhi amruna fahuwarad. Whoever does an action that's not in accordance with the sunnah, it will be rejected. Likewise, read Surah Yasin 7,000 times. We'll bring 7,000 angels and 7,000 angels. I'm, I'll just fill it in, yeah? 7,000 angels will come with 7,000 something or other and they will give you 7,000 hur and then the 7,000 hur will live with you in 7,000 castles. Each of the 7,000 castles will have 7,000 hur and, 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 and. A hadith mawdu'a. Uh, the hadith is mawdu'a and there, are no, there is no evidence for any of these numbers whatsoever. Sometimes family members avoid rukia because they feel that they are not trained to deal with the issue. This is why we have rukia workshops. Uh, we want to convince you that it doesn't take a lot of training. I'm not saying there's no such thing as a trained rukia. The more you train, you will, of course there is better, you handle the situation better. You know, when a lot of people were asking, for example, uh, we had a reaction during the Rukia workshop from a sister, why did you not get involved? Uh, quite simply because of probably 15 years experience of getting involved and then realizing that in this kind of environment, it doesn't help. What it does is makes the shaitan break up the workshop, stop everyone from learning. The shaitan screams and shouts for the rest of the day and we get nowhere, not for the sister and not for ourselves. So, of course, when you develop experience, you become uh, better at judging things. You know, I once got a brother, and I'll be honest, I'll be totally honest, I, I went and saw a brother who's uh, a good, uh, or he has a, had, a, had a career as a, a good uh, fighter, and I told him to teach me some ways that I can safely restrain someone, and I can safely manage a violent jinn. And mashallah, I found it really beneficial. He just did a day, like a sort of a day, two days uh, practical work on sort of a safe way that doesn't hurt the patient. You know, when someone's throwing punches at you, how you can kind of safely manage that. He did some sort of work. That really helped me a lot, you know, experience. Having said that, you don't need this experience. At the end of the day, natural reaction is someone's kicking and shouting. You're going to take a few steps back and just give them their own space. And mostly I would say 95% of the time the danger to the in a violent jinn is to the patient not to the Raqi I can honestly maybe maybe less than five times in a hundred maybe less than two times in a hundred I get a really violent jinn that attacks me 
maybe a violent jinn or maybe 20% of cases. And of those 20%, of that within that 20%, 18% of that will be most likely, 17, 18% will be against the person themselves. So it's about keeping them safe and stopping them from hurting themselves, punching themselves, scratching themselves, biting themselves, biting their own tongues, you know, things like that. That's more of a concern than harming you. Harming you is likely to be scare you. They'll give you a bit of a, you know, rah, like scare type thing and a bit of a, I'm going to kill you and, you know, like a sort of zombie look and things like that. But that's not a big deal, inshallah. I was really impressed with this question because it's printed and I have no idea how they managed to print this question. I guess it must have wrote it on in the morning and printed it in the printer and then handed it in the afternoon, mashallah. If magic has been done via an amulet or hair or nails, do you need to find the item? Uh, no, you don't need to find the item, although that of course will, uh, would help. You break it through breaking the jinn that have been sent to carry out that, the, uh, what that item necessitates. The other day I read somewhere that apart from the Sherry Rukia, the Prophet allowed the use of medicines like lotus leaves and other herbs. Is this true? Yes, absolutely. And we had given you a quote of, uh, for this Sheikh, Sheikh, uh, Samahad uh, Sheikh Mubaz Rahimahullah Ta'ala and the Sheikh had said that these are permissible medicines there is nothing wrong with using Sidr and Senna and again the more experience you get the better you get at using them you know it used to be in the beginning of Rukia well I'm not even kidding you I used to give Sidr Senna to everyone Black Sea you know everything to everyone and you know in the end you learn you know Senna causes uh, diarrhea uh, it causes you to uh, loosen your bowels um, and it is effective against magic in certain circumstances but again people the first time they get a stomach pain ply them with senna and then what happens is usually no, they're overdosing on senna massively they're having huge stomach cramps they're having massive you know problems in the bathroom you know senna and I'll just give you a rough idea is better three times a month so three days once a month continuously uh, made in the night, boil the leaves in the night, uh, leave them to stew overnight and drink the tea, warm the tea up and drink it in the morning. Uh, one cup three times for three days is more than enough, inshallah, for people who need it. But again, it's given a bit, it's given a bit too, too often and sometimes. But yeah, you know, the, the, the Siddur, the Senna uh, and the other things are very useful. As a side element, and I, I want to make that really clear, you don't get rid of magic with Siddur. Siddur facilitates it to go more quickly if you use it in the right way. Rukia gets rid of it. Siddur facilitates the issue, makes it easier to get rid of and faster. Ear trembling while listening to the Quran or anything religious. I think that's, that's certainly one of the signs of a problem, of an affliction from the jinn. Uh, I don't, you know, you don't read a paper like that and say, you've got magic, you've had it for seven years, you've got five jinn, one of them his name is this is the way of the, the magicians. We don't say this. We say that there is a sign of one potential problem. For example, one of you said to me, what would one of you do if you found a lump on your body that was growing in size? Would you not go to the doctor? You go to the doctor. Does that mean that you have cancer? No, not yet. It's a sign of a potential problem that needs to be seen by someone to determine whether it is cancer or whether it is a benign growth yeah or whether you need operating on or not so likewise ears twitching with the Quran just like if you found a lump on your body you've got a sign of one of the many signs of a Rukia problem 
certainly not a guarantee. You need to have that further investigated, either through self-ruqya or seeing someone, in order to determine whether this is actually um, a ruqya problem or whether it's something benign. Shaitan can cause influence from the outside and from the inside. What if there's a matter of someone having hallucinations of dark figures at night? Uh, is this a medical issue or not? I read a very interesting article in a British newspaper regarding this about how it's all psychological and you know the person is half levitating off the bed and they see all these figures and they talk to them and yeah, yeah, it's completely understood, you know, it's just sleep paralysis. I don't think so. Uh, I think that is just a case of science lumping everything into one box, giving it a label and telling, yeah, we completely understand why it is you are seeing evil creatures that are ripping your skin apart at night and why you wake up with the scratches. Sleep paralysis. I don't think so. You know, this is, it's very, very foolish. Let's be honest, yeah? There is a thing called sleep paralysis, which may be medical and may be, uh, may be real. There are uh, hallucinations that may be medical and may be real. You could take, you know, LSD and have hallucinations, let's be honest. And that's nothing to do with the jinn. However, the reality is that if someone is having these kind of things at night, it's a big symptom, it needs to be seen and checked with Rukia, and really you can't write it off as sleep paralysis. You can't just say, you know, yeah, yeah, you know, the mind is too active, and you know, some of the Muslims add to this who, who don't really approve of Rukia, and they say, yeah, you know, actually what's happening is your soul hasn't fully come back to the body, your body's woken up, but your soul is still on its way back, so you wake up paralyzed, and any, look, it may be, part of that may be true, the soul is from the matter of my Lord. So let's not, you know, let's not delve into these matters too much. Uh, if you're having that, you probably need Rukia. Uh, is it a problem? Let the Rukia kind of come to a conclusion and find out whether it's a problem or not. Does the shaitan know what our fears are in our hearts? How do they detect the fear? Very, very good question. Um, I'll, I'll explain this in a really simple way. Uh, you find yourself may Allah not this allow this to happen, face to face with a hungry lion or a dangerous snake or something like this. It's well known that many animals can detect fear in you. Do they read your mind? Do they know what's in your heart? No. They see your body language. They see, you know, some people talk about, you know, pheromones, the smell you give off and, you know, all sorts of things. But there are lots of small external signs that indicate a person is scared. Heart rate goes up, you know, you, you start sweating, you freeze a little bit, your, your pupils widen and all of the other things. That doesn't need them to know what's in your heart. Now, add to this that the shaitan may well be inside of your body at this time. It's more, even easier for them to... Because we know that your brain patterns and certain things like fear can be, uh, can be seen on the brain. They can't read your mind, but they can see areas of the brain. I'm talking about medical scans. Can see areas of the brain associated with fear and they can you know, sort of see a, a movement that, or a signal that is indicating this person is scared. The jinn will know the heart rate is going up because they're going around the blood in the, uh, in the arteries and the veins. That's where the jinns go. Uh, so subhanAllah, there's a, a clear sign that the jinn have a lot more access to your sort of talk about vital medical signs than, you know, like say a snake or a lion or an animal might have. When they decide, am I going to go for this or am I going to run? At the end of the day, it doesn't require them to be able to read what is in your heart. That is for Allah Azza wa alone. 
However, there are signs on the brain, in the blood pressure, in the body language, in the sweat and other things that of course the jinn will be aware of and they can tune into the fact that you are scared of them. And of course you may be screaming at that point which is an even more obvious sign. How do we understand if a person has the evil eye? Please do refer back to the Rukia workshop, the 10 part one with Abu Ibrahim. We answered that one in there. Just we don't want to have to, to sort of duplicate the information. Can we break the 45 minutes of Rukia into several different sessions in the day? No, I don't recommend you do this. I'm not going to say you can't because there's no hadith that says you have to do 45 minutes of Rukia. But I recommend that you get a solid 45 minute chunk in one go. Reading the Quran without doing wiping is one of the methods of Rukia. Is this weaker than the other methods? A very, very good question. And I must admit that I don't entirely know the answer. I think I partially know the answer. Sometimes you must only read the Quran. Example, when you are you know, uh, reading upon a lady and it's not appropriate for you to get very near, you can't blow or you, are, you feel it's inappropriate, then at this time uh, you need to read only Quran. Uh, an example maybe when you uh, feel that you are, what's the word, uh, you can't, you, you're in a, a, a difficult sort of situation, maybe in public or something like that. Um, blowing, you will find benefits at times and not at others. And I'm still learning when I feel that blowing benefits and when it doesn't. But you seem to see that at times it, it, it does, it catches them and at times it doesn't. And at times you can blow internally as well as externally, which is to blow like in the mouth. Um, again, I would not recommend you do that with a sister. Uh, I would recommend that you keep that uh, to either mahram, etc. Uh, but you blow in the mouth. Uh, and this is mentioned in some of the hadith. And again, if you read the Quran as a cure notes, uh, more information is available on there. But I think that's something I would like to research myself. Uh, we're all still learning. Um, are some of those methods better than others? Possibly. Possibly. But all of them are there for you to use. I don't feel any symptoms but I feel difficulty in certain acts of worship. Do I need Rukia to be done? Again, my answer to this is going to be holistic approach. Do a little bit of Rukia. Why not? It's not going to do you any harm. Maybe that will stop the external waswasa. Bearing in mind, not every time shaitan whispers in your ear, you have a jinn problem. Shaitan whispers in the ear of every Muslim. So do a bit of Rukia. Also deal with it from the other angle. What if it is just a lack of knowledge, a lack of khushu, a lack of dhikr, a lack of consciousness of Allah? So deal with it from, from multiple angles, inshallah. Is taking the mobile to the bathroom connected with a jinn problem? You know, I read this and I thought, wallahi, I hope not, because I might be guilty of that as well. Uh, I don't think so. I hope not. But again, be careful what you do with your mobile in the bathroom because, uh, you know, subhanAllah, like Quran, ayat. You, you can take your mobile into the bathroom, but just be careful you're not like opening Quran and ayat and things like that. If the husband refuses to read Quran from the Mus'haf, what should be done? I, I kind of thought we answered that in the, in the answer in the second part of the session. Maybe this was an early question on how you deal with someone who doesn't take Rukia treatment. So refer back to the article on the website on how to deal with someone who doesn't accept Rukia treatment. Um, do it from different ways, get other people to convince them and uh, you know, encourage them to pray, encourage them to do other good deeds. One will open their heart to the other. 
Someone who I know is 15 years old, keeps looking at himself in the mirror many, many times, all the way throughout the day to the point this is causing him to delay the prayers. Is this psychological or is it Rukia? You're going to get a very similar answer to the previous questions that it may be psychological. Probably sounds to me slightly more likely to be psychological, but it may also be giving himself the evil eye. Also, jinn can cause that, and you have an issue called Ainul Jinn, the jinn giving you the evil eye. This is a matter of ikhtilaf among the scholars. We asked our Sheikh Adil Muqbil about it, and he said he believes it to be reliable and to be authentic, even though the hadith is weak in this regard, but he believes it to be authentic um, in terms of a concept that the jinn can give you the evil eye. Uh, and it may be that looking in the mirror can be a case of the jinn giving you the evil eye or giving yourself the evil eye. Uh, but also it may be a psychological issue as well. So we treat it with rukia. And if the rukia doesn't seem to be sort of moving anywhere, also we can, we can take the, the medical route as well. Uh, keeping toys such as dolls, teddy bears that have eyes and limbs at home, will this stop the angels from entering the house or affect the rukia program? And likewise, pictures which are not on display. Yes, both of these. Both of these. Be so, so careful. I know how hard it is. Wallahi, I know how hard. I have three kids. I know how hard it is. Everything you bring home has a picture on it. A face on it. A teddy bear, a limb. You know, it's, it's very, very difficult. The only thing that is permitted in the Sharia is a simple doll for a little girl to develop her motherly uh, instincts. So this would not be a Barbie doll or a, one of these realistic face dolls. Maybe like a simple rag doll, you know, like they're made out of cotton or they're made out of wool and they just have, you know, a shape of limbs and arms and maybe, you know, like a, a stitch where the eyes are. Inshallah, for a little girl, there's no harm in this. This will help to develop her instincts. You get a little push chair, a little pram and so on and so forth. Uh, there's no harm in this, inshallah. And Aisha had a horse with wings, radiallahu ta'ala anha. But uh, as for the general thing of Barbies and realistic dolls and all this stuff uh, and pictures in the cupboard, wallah, get rid of them, wallah. Uh, my advice, some people may allow pictures in the cupboard, but I think, you know, at the end of the day, the Prophet said, the angels do not enter the house where there is a dog or a picture. He didn't see a dog in the living room and a picture on the wall. He said where there is a dog or a picture. It's very, very hard. I'll tell you some of the tips I use. Um, Permanent marker, always have a, a one of them available. Anything that comes in with massive big faces of things on it, just cross it off. Uh, I, I use a paint pen. You might have seen those gold and silver paint pens. They have uh, paint inside of them in the shape of a pen. The good thing about them is that they cover things that won't cover with marker, like uh, plastics and things like that. You can, you, know, you can cover them with that. Sandpaper, my favorite tool. Any plastic, any wood that has a the face on, just rub the face off with uh, sandpaper. Uh, what else do we have? Sometimes take the stitching off. You know, we try not to ruin things, try and keep it looking nice. Sometimes you get a, a blanket with a, a baby's blanket with a little face on. Sometimes you can just unstitch the eyes and the nose. They just, they just with a, a, a little pick, you can, or with a little needle, you can just unpick the stitching and it comes off lovely. You can't see anything at all. It looks really nice. Uh, and again, a fabric pen for covering clothing and stuff like that, as much as you can. And of course the usual uh, razor blade, although I recommend a scalpel rather than a razor blade, or a, a stationary cutting knife rather than a razor blade, because a razor blade you're in danger of cutting yourself. You know, something with a handle, but like a razor blade uh, for cutting things out, uh, like a scalpel or something similar, 
and likewise, uh, you know, the scissors and, you know, all the rest. I'll tell you, my rookie kit, I have all sorts of things. I have a blowtorch. I have a, a little steel. Uh, I don't use it on patients, don't worry. I have a little steel uh, tub. I also don't, don't taser patients either. You know, I'm very benign in my rookie. Um, but, yeah, you know, like uh, I have a little bag in England. Uh, along, what I honestly would recommend uh, for destroying taweed and all that stuff, a stainless steel circular sort of like tube really good for putting things in they burn the ashes don't go everywhere but the tub doesn't melt i've tried using pans and things but in the end after the blowtorch went on them the pans just the bottom of the pan just fell out so that didn't work um though you don't need the blowtorch it helps uh but a long-necked barbecue lighter you've seen them the the, the cigarette barbecue lighter things which have a long neck because when you use a cigarette lighter, you burn your fingers, especially when you're getting rid of 100 Tawis a day. Yeah, you end up with blisters all over your fingers, yeah? So the long thing, or if you're getting rid of 100 a day, honestly, just use the blowtorch. Uh, I also have like a file for filing off things, sandpaper for getting rid of, uh, you know, things, a metal file for like rubbing things off metal. Um, I used to have a Dremel multi-tool type thing, you know, like one of these multi-tools where you can, has a little cutter, like it's a little mini drill, it has a little cutter and things. But then I do a lot of this, so you, know, you have, you know, on, in all honesty, you'll manage with, if you're getting rid of Tawi, you'll manage with a, a long neck lighter and something to put the stuff in, inshallah, and a pair of scissors. If a person dies without doing Rukia and then commits suicide, and it's suspected it's black magic, do we pray the janazah or not? Uh, if a person commits suicide, they're still a Muslim, uh, inshallah uh, however obviously it's a huge sin what we say is it's not befitting for the people of knowledge and the people of status in the community to attend the janazah of a person who commits suicide because this is encouraging other people to do the same so the janazah should be held by the ordinary Muslims but the people of knowledge and the people of status in the community should stay away in order to serve as a lesson for other people However, if there's a clear proof that this was done through black magic, not a rumor, not, you know, the mum is crying and saying, oh, it's just black magic, you know, this and that. If there's a clear proof the person was being trapped for black magic, then inshallah, I see no harm in everyone attending the janazah. Otherwise, the ordinary people attend the janazah and you, you don't let the imam pray over them. You don't let the imam of the masjid or something like that. Let, the, let one of the congregation pray over them as a sign for the people to take the, for the severity of, of this uh, sin. I have a brother who's been diagnosed with bipolar. Uh, after I watch your videos, I feel that many of the symptoms you mentioned uh, are there. As a woman, can I do rukya on him? He will only accept me. Of course, if it's your brother, I have no problem with a woman doing rukya within the family. My problem is women doing rukya outside of the family frequently. You know, one-off cases, helping out, being a support, you know, keeping the sister's hijab on, topping up the rukia, no problem. But I don't like for a woman to be a raqi, quote-unquote. First of all, qiyas upon jihad. Uh, jihad is for men, and likewise, rukia should be the same. Uh, and secondly, because of the dangers involved in that, the physical problems, being attacked by men, relatives, I've, you know, you have problems. And I, I think it's better that the woman restricts her rukia to herself and her close family, but the brother, no problem at all. Again, bipolar, you know, continue with the psychiatric treatment. Uh, but at the end of the day, the Qur'an is the best thing for bipolar, wallah. Even if it's not jinn-related. The Qur'an, subhanAllah, is the only treatment I have ever seen that is proven to cure bipolar. Not to, 
to reduce the symptoms, not to cause the symptoms just to you know, go away, not to make the person into a vegetable just by taking so many uh, medicines that just turn them into a, you know, a vegetable. A pure cure that absolutely works, and a permanent cure, you know, in a very short space of time. Uh, there is nothing known to do this other than the Quran. Uh, in India, one sister moved to a house in which Hindus were practicing magic. She uh, has now changed the, you know, changed the house. She's cleaned it up. She's decorated it, etc. Uh, but she's facing a lot of problems in her life. I think there's a couple of things. I think first of all, she shouldn't be jumped to a conclusion of linking the two because this is helping the shaitan. You know, this is like to have this tatayur, that you know, this uh, th believing in omens. Rather, when this happens, she should say, Oh Allah, it, like in the, in the hadith, Allahumma la tayra illa tayruk, wa la khayra illa khayruk, wa la ilaha ghayruk. Oh Allah, there is no omen except yours. And uh, there is no good except from you. And there is no God worthy of worship except for you. So this is to disconnect her heart from the belief that this is necessarily linked. Then, and notice the two together, then she should try to treat the problem as though it is linked. So first of all, disconnect the heart from it and believe, you know, this is only coming from Allah. You know, these people can't harm me. It'll be fine. And then read Baqarah in the house, take the actions, you know, to get rid of the jinn uh, from the house, re do the seven-day program on herself, etc., etc., uh, make the, the house a place of obedience to Allah, worship. We talked about all these things in the Rukia workshop, inshallah. So, yes, she should take the steps because this is tying the camel. But at the same time, she should disconnect her heart from attaching it to my problems are coming from this uh, by the, such du'as as Allahumma la tayra illa tayruk wa la khayra illa khayruk wa la ilaha ghayruk. Is there a special rukia for sihr in terms of surahs to recite? We'll cover this in the next workshop, inshallah. Uh, the general rukia I've given you is more than enough. And there are some more specializations you can just target a little bit with. Question two, myself and three daughters are affected by sihr. Araqi said the jinn is as are sent by sihr. How do you confirm? There's no need to confirm this. Just do the rukia, inshallah, until Allah makes it clear to you. I'm very clear on this. At a beginner level, I do not want you spending hours and hours trying to figure, is this sihr, is it jinn, is it ayn, is it this, who did it, where is the sihr? Leave all of this. Allah will make it clear to you in time. In time, it will become clear. Do the ruqya, do the treatment, that's the main thing. Iraqi trained by uh, one of the brothers in Pakistan is treating by using a technique of dreams. So the way this dream technique works, um, is they make you visualize, it's called visualization. They make you visualize killing the jinn in your dream or you have a nightmare, they make you go back to the nightmare in your, you know, and focus on it and kill the jinn in your nightmare. Wallahi, my advice to you is to leave this. And if it's not an innovation, then I fear that it is on the door of such. And I really, you know, Wallahi, did the Prophet ﷺ recommend this for nightmares and bad dreams? Did the Prophet ﷺ do it? Did the Sahaba do it? Did the Tabi'een do it? Did the Tabi'ul Atba do it? Did anyone in the Quran al-Mufaddala go anywhere near any of these visualization techniques? So what do we say to them? We say to them, Follow their way and don't bring anything new because what they did is enough for you, inshallah. What they did is more than enough for you. 
And I'm not going to, you know, launch into a tirade against the brother. People do this and, and you know, at the end of the day, uh, some of them are really evil people like uh, Bin Halima, who I've warned against many times. He's a shaitan. Uh, himself, he, yeah, if I find him, I will sit on his chest and read Ayatul Kursi like a Dhahabi said. Uh, he is a shaitan who is working with the shaitan. But uh, apart from uh, these likes, you know, there are some good brothers, they use some visualization techniques. Uh, then in this case, uh, I, I don't recommend you go to them and I don't recommend you encourage them. Abdurrahman, no new questions, Habib. Mafi. And we said clearly to begin with, so we'll follow the rules, inshallah. Otherwise, it's not fair on the people who have questions and don't submit them. Unless that's a message from Kelly Mustafa or something. My son has a genetic blood disorder which doesn't have a cure. Shafahullah. He needs uh, sort of shots and things. Should I do the former Rukia program? Why not? It's not going to do him any harm, inshallah. You know, maybe it's not the, the, the most number one case that you would think to do Rukia for. But why not? It's part of your belief in the Quran. Perhaps it will bring some relief. Perhaps it will bring some shifa. Perhaps it will bring some lightening of the illness. Why not, inshallah? Why not do it? Inshallah, there's no harm whatsoever. Do the nine methods of doing ruqya have levels of effect? I think we've also uh, just uh, dealt with that. I said I, um, yeah, I, mean, I, I'm not sure I know the answer to that question in full. But uh, try out different methods and you use which of the nine from the sunnah. Uh, you find to be you know the most effective and and you can mix and match them inshallah you'll develop some experience in that and i i don't feel that i have fully uh, maybe i can f i can fully explain to you how i would use one over the other just yet i think that's something that needs a little bit of learning when reading surah al-baqarah every three days can we split it up into parts yes no problem inshallah you know um the three days is a recommendation it's not a hadith from the prophet sallallahu that i know of it's a recommendation so twice a week you know you can you can break it up into parts inshallah but if you are a rookie patient i recommend that you try to finish it in in a big chunk either half and half or one full go because the cumulative effect of punishing the jinn for such a long period of time is very powerful there are some videos of pastors and uh, oh okay so this is pastors and uh, you know so-called muslims uh, who wave their hands and people start shaking and falling and things like that uh, and they usually dance to these uh, qawali and things and then they touch people and then the people fall over they are shayati, they are magicians take it from me, I promise you a promise that I will stand in front of Allah and t say it on Yawm Qiyamah they are magicians or working with magicians if you see them doing and it's not from the karamat al-awliya this is from the from the uh, you know from the, the the, the tricks of the shaitan. And you see these people neck deep in sihr, like the Naqshbandiya. The Naqshbandiya, wallahi, if you cut one of them open, you will find sihr inside. Yani. Like they are full of sihr. Absolute shayateen. And alhamdulillah, Allah Azza wa Jal saved us from the devil who passed away, uh, Nazim. May Allah Azza wa Jal you know, sort of save us from him and the likes of him. He was a huge magician. He used to write so much. And I came across Rukia cases that involved him. And he used to write a great deal of Sihr, uh, this uh, snake Nazim, uh, subhanAllah. And Allah Azza wa Jal sufficed us against him, alhamdulillah, uh, and uh, took him to a place where he will get what he deserves, ta'ala. But subhanAllah, his group and his murids are still going around doing Sihr upon people. And they are covered in it 
from, and they don't even deny. This is, you know, if anyone is listening and thinking Muhammad Tim is being really horrible to Naqshbandiya, they, they admit it themselves. They say we do sihr openly. We do sihr. They openly say we do sihr. They say that this is allowed for the awliya and etc. Uh, etc. Et they openly admit they do sihr. And they openly do it in front of people and they have videos on YouTube of them worshipping the jinn. So, uh, I mean, why would you be surprised? So these people, when you see them with their turbans and them touching people and them shaking, then these are the people and I will tell you a beautiful story about this. Wallah, I tell it to everyone and I, if you've seen the videos, you've heard the story, but I, Wallah, I tell it every time. This really affected me. Our Sheikh Adil Muqbil, Hafidhullah Ta'ala, uh, went to uh, a country in uh, south in uh, southern uh, Asia somewhere. I think maybe even maybe it was Indonesia or Malaysia, and there was one of these, you know, shayateen, with the turbans and the shaking people and whatever. And what he was doing, he said, "I'm a big wali from the awliya of Allah. You know, I'm so much iman, I can move people with my hands. That's how much iman I have." So he did this, uh, you know, he did this uh, like these tricks. And they're on video. This is a recorded on video, but the Sheikh does not let me share the video with anyone. He didn't give me the video. Until now, I, every time I see I say, Sheikh, give me the video. He says, no. If you give the video, people will, uh, you know, circulate it and will think. So in any case, in the video, the, this guy is doing all these tricks. He's shaking the people. He's throwing them over. His uh, big follower has a motorbike. When he revs the handle, everyone around is hit by a shockwave and flies in the air. So they all stand around the motorbike, he revs the handle, they go whoop, like this and they all fly in the air. So these people are coming to him with swords, knives, you know, with uh, nunchucks, with baseball bats, and they're trying to hit him. Whenever they get near, they freeze and they fall over. So Sheikh comes, and if any of you know Sheikh Adil, he's very simple, very, very simple. And comes in his red shamakh and his taub, you know, his kandura, and he just kind of walks up and he just kind of looks at what's going on. And he says to them that, can I have a go? So they say, of course, the weapons are here, swords, knives, whatever you want. He said, I, I brought my own weapon. They said, no problem. Even if you brought a gun, even whatever you brought, your own weapon, whatever you brought, you, but you will not be able to attack the, the peer because he is a very big wali. You will not be able to touch him. But you can go for the small murid, the small baby one, first. So Sheikh said, okay. So this guy is throwing people with his hands. When the Sheikh comes, he's, he's, you know, throwing people around with his hands. So the Sheikh walks up to him, you know, still he's got his, you know, his sandals on and he's just, you know, sort of walks up to him. He looks at him and just goes, A'udhu bi kalimati ma And the guy just hits the floor. Just hits the floor, flat out. They said, yeah, we told you he's the baby out of the family. His iman is not high enough. Sheikh said, no problem, all of you come, the, the wali and all of you. And he stood them in a row and he went like this. And they fell down like skittles. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Like this. And the Sheikh said, Wallahi, do not think this is me. I did not do anything. But this is the words of Allah against the words of the shaitan. And he said, any of you can do the same. Do not think this is like a big, the sheikh is some big wali or something. Yani this is simply any one of you can do the same. If you believe in this Quran, you believe in the words of Allah Azza wa Jal, you believe in the power those words contain, walk up to any magician. And see what happens. I've seen the effects myself, subhanAllah. However, be careful because the sheikh also warns against false magicians who are not magicians, but they are 
tricksters, and you might go and do all the ruqya on them and they're still doing their tricks. The Sheikh showed us a video of someone levitating. I have this video. He's levitating, and you know, maybe someone will go up to him and say, you know, Ayatul Kursi and start reading on him. And when you see he's, he has a little chair with a tiny thin pole that you can't see, like a fiberglass, and he's basically just sitting on it. You know, he's not a magician at all, he's just tricking you. And one with money, and there was a case in Saudi, the Hayat got involved. They had like loads and loads and loads of money. And they were saying that the jinn steal your money. So they were saying, put the money in the case and we offer it to the jinn and the case comes back empty. So the hair got involved, Sheikh came, arrest the guy for magic, jinn, into, jinn involvement, whatever. Turns out he's just using this fake uh, case, basically that has this like double opening and whatever. And he's just stealing the money for himself. He has nothing to do with jinn and nothing to do with magic. Simple common thief. So just be careful you don't rush in and start you know, sitting on the chest and reading on them and whatever, like Imam al-Dhahabi said. Uh, but uh, instead of that, you know, you, you just be a bit careful to realize what is magic and what isn't, because some of it is tricks and some of it is real. Uh, a follow-up question I might get asked, what about all these magicians who come and do these uh, sort of stage magic? Uh, many of them involve the shayateen, many. I'm not going to say all, but many of them, you can clearly see in their face, in their actions, their movements, that they are not using exclusively camera tricks and stage tricks. Some of them are using the shayateen. Some of them have well-known names of shaitan written on their arms and hands. Uh, we know them. They, we, we recognize the symbols. They use uh, signs and symbolism that is, we know from magic. We've seen magicians do it time and time again. So these people, you know, we know who they are. Uh, and some of them are very, very clever. There is one. Uh, Amir, what is the name of that one? The one who tells people there is no sihr. Is that Darren Brown? I think Darren Brown, this guy is, wallah, major shaitan. He basically convinces people that there is no sihr. There is no sihr. So he basically does sihr, probably involving the jinn. It looks like he uses the jinn. And then he tells people, no, 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 what I did is I used, you know, mind tricks and neuro-linguistic programming. And I convinced you when you were driving down the street, I showed you a picture of something on the side of the road. And that made you think to draw the picture. But the dhahir, from what we can see, is he is using the shaitan. And the, it's not surprising, the shaitan has plans from multiple, from multiple sides. My friends and his family are not practicing uh, at all. Uh, um, there's a terrible sort of, you know, a lot of, uh, subhanAllah, there's a murder involved, a suicide involved. Uh, there've been marital issues, huge problems, uh, debt, and all of the rest. This is obviously quite a serious case. Uh, people have obviously seemed to have been, have lost their lives in it, uh, and that's obviously very serious. Uh, and it needs a detailed advice. But I would recommend you begin with the where, for those people who are remaining, for the where do I start article on my website. Uh, it's on the homepage now, muhammadtim.com. Uh, and it's a post called, where do I start? And start bit by bit by bit, step by step, getting rid of all these horrible, horrible things that happened in the past and treating it according to the Quran and the Sunnah. And maybe that's the one to deal with by email. If after you read the article, you still have questions outstanding. A family is forcing a son to consult a Raqi because of some of the things he's facing in the life, uh, but he doesn't want to go to that Raqi. He feels it'll put him to a fitna. Um, I think this, this can be multiple things. Sometimes someone afflicted by jinn won't go to a Raqi, but sometimes the person genuinely just doesn't want to go. So you have to really maybe get that some, an independent point of view on that one. Uh, maybe it's hard for me to say the family is telling the truth or the individual is telling the truth. Maybe I'd have to see them 
and then say, yeah, I, I would say this individual does need to see a Raqi or, or not. I think that's uh, the best advice I can give in that regard. How can we differentiate between psychological disorders like depression, anxiety, anger, and Rukia related like Jinn and Hasad? Um, and what about Rukia as, a, as an alternative to antidepressants? Uh, I, I mentioned this right at the beginning of the lecture. You can refer it to, to it in the, uh, the Rukia workshop, the very beginning I mentioned that we don't need to differentiate. Treat it with Rukia, treat it with medicine. With regard to antidepressants, be very, very careful. Do not stop taking them without advice from a doctor. They are extremely dangerous. If you stop taking them quickly, you can cause yourself very, very, very severe and permanent harm. Do not stop taking your medication because you want to do Rukia. If you're not taking any medication, use Rukia and, and just leave the medication until you see what you need in the future. Maybe you don't need the medication at all. Uh, maybe you do need it. But if you are currently taking antidepressants or psychiatric medication, uh, antipsychotics and such, do not stop taking them because Rukia is making you feel better. Even if you are cured, you need the doctor to slowly reduce your dosage. Otherwise, you can cause yourself very severe lasting harm. I'm not a doctor and I don't play one on the internet, but uh, I have a lot of friends who are, and I've spoken to them extensively about this issue. They are very, very serious medications. They're some of the most dangerous and high-risk medications that a person can take. Don't stop taking them without medical advice. Yes, there are some light antidepressants, you can go on and off them, but there are some quite serious antipsychotics and uh, you know, quite uh, heavy dosage drugs that if you just stop taking them, you can have really severe uh, sort of cold turkey from them. So it's really important that you do that in association with your doctor. Uh, and Rukia, of course, is the better way of dealing with the problem, inshallah. Rukia, Dua, Dhikr, and all of the other things uh, as well. Can Rukia be done for autism or ADHD? Um, I've had mixed results with autism, I'll be honest. I haven't had great results with autism. But it may be that autism is of different types. Uh, and it may be that it just needs a long-term solution. Everything can be trekked by Rukia. Have a go. Definitely ADHD. I've trekked with Rukia, no problem. That helps a lot. Rukia helps ADHD a lot. That's, I, that's um, sort of the attention deficit uh, and uh, hyperactivity disorders and things like that. Rukia works very, very well for them. Uh, autism, I have really had a real mixed bag. I've not really managed to get my sort of results that I wanted out of treating people with autism, but. Uh, I still have great hopes for it. We just have to maybe develop our experience in the field. And the more patients we try to treat with Rukia, with autism, the quicker we will learn the correct method for, for doing so, inshallah. And can you read on a child when they're asleep? I said differentiate between two things. If the child has a jinn within them, I don't recommend you let them go to sleep. If the child is simply hyperactive uh, or you're not sure what's wrong with them or they're unwell, no problem in reading them on them when they are asleep. I'm just trying to go through the shorter ones first. I'm trying as little time as possible. Um, bad dreams. Someone asking about bad dreams, nightmares, horrible dreams, um, filthy dreams, things like that. I highly recommend you go to muhammadtim.com forward slash blog and you read the post entitled Frequent Nightmares and we'll also deal with this in the next Rukia workshop, inshallah. Can shaitan feel that you're scared? We've answered that. Kids toys, we've answered that. Why do I feel sleepy during Rukia? That's very common. It happens to the Raqi and it happens to the patient that when there is a jinn involved, you often feel very sleepy. And that might not be even a jinn. 
but the shaitan doesn't want you to do good. Have you ever noticed that the most sleepy you are on a Friday is during the Jummah khutbah? Seriously. I nearly fell asleep five, six times in the Jummah khutbah today. And you know, I'm wide awake now. And I was wide awake before and after. I get in the Jummah khutbah, you know, like, like this. And the khatib was amazing. It was a really good speech. So subhanAllah, you know, you see from this that the shaitan wants to influence you, whether that is jinn related or whether it's just the shaitan, you know, doesn't want you to get the reward. So you have to fight that uh, through ruqya. I recommend, I tend to stand up when it happens. I stand up and walk around the room. Those of you who know me know that I do that anyway. Uh, I pace up and down. It probably annoys the staff at Kalima no end because I pace up and down and up and down whenever I want to do anything. Uh, but it works when you're feeling sleepy and you're doing ruqya. Just stand up and just start pacing and it will go away. Also washing your face with a bit of ruqya water uh, and drinking a glass of zamzam also helps to wake you up. If you go to sleep completely, the misc is very good. If you're fainting, if you're like dropping out and fainting back, uh, the block of red misc that I never know the name of, very common in India, Pakistan, it's like soap. It's a small, about one inch by one inch by two inch or something like that. Red uh, block comes in red color and yellow color. It's, it's called misc and it's like, a, it's like a waxy kind of misc. They, it's very cheap. You find it in all sorts of shops. Uh, they bring it back from Pakistan in big boxes. Um, I still never know. I, I ask people what it's called and everyone gives me a different name for it. Um, but it's, it's basically a block of waxy red colored misc smells like misc it's got a wax texture to it or a soap like texture to it uh, and it's very cheap and it comes in red and yellow blocks the red one is really good uh, flake a bit off and just pop it in the nostril of the patient or just below the nostril like you would do with uh, Vicks or something like that you know uh, just put it underneath the nose of the person they'll stop uh, falling asleep inshallah is there a minimum or a maximum amount of tesbih it depends what you mean by tasbih. If you mean by general tasbih, as in generally remembrance of Allah, then inshallah there's no specific limit. But if you're doing a specific kind of dhikr, then you need to stick to the limits that are mentioned in the sunnah. So you can't say, for example, read subhanallah 1,000 times and then read alhamdulillah 1,001 times. This is an innovation, giving a number to something that doesn't have a number in the sunnah. However, if you are just doing a general dhikr and you're just reading as much as you like, then generally there's no harm in it. But again, you mustn't make general what the Sharia made specific, nor must you make specific what the Sharia made general. My grandmother is still wearing a ta'weez. Uh, she's been given multiple uh, advice. She's going through a lot of problems um, uh, with her properties and other things. What can be done in this situation? Again, I ask you to refer to the afternoon session where we talked about how to convince someone who needs Rukia. Uh, and likewise, I advise you to refer to the blog post on how to, what if a patient refuses treatment, and likewise, dawah workshops as well. Because let's not forget that this is also a dawah element. You know, the ta'weed is an aqidah element, a dawah element. So let's not also forget that correcting the aqidah and, you know, um, sort of looking at how to convince people about things uh, in a, in a, with proper Islamic evidences is also important and worth noting. Two friends of mine are victims of sihr. Their dad reads Quran daily. Uh, after a lot of years, those jinns have accepted Islam. How to get them out of the body? First of all, I, I'm not saying they haven't accepted Islam, but I really don't advise you that you buy everything the jinn sell you. 
you know, really, the jinn, I've become Muslim. La ilaha illallah. You know, many times, don't buy what they said. It's a classic Rukia mistake, classic mistake made by Raqi. That they are starting to believe the jinn and they're allowing the jinn to dictate. First of all, Muslim or non-Muslim, if they're in the body, this is dhulm. And they need to be taken out. Don't discuss with them. Just say to them, Ittaqillah, fear Allah and leave. If you are Muslim and you fear Allah, then you will leave. And what you'll find is after a time, they may well start cackling and saying to you, ah, we're not really Muslim. I'm a shaitan. Happens all the time. Do not believe them. Do not, do not, do not believe them and engage in conversation with them. Push the ruqya, turn the ruqya up. It, it may be they are Muslim. I'm not saying that that happens. Or it, it does happen that they, are, that they may be Muslim. But many people allow the shaitan to fool them because you know, shaitan knows you have this Muslim versus non-Muslim jinn. So the shaitan says, I'm a Muslim. La ilaha illallah. And then obviously, uh, this causes these, uh, you know, these effects and things like that. So my recommendation is, don't believe the shaitan in this. And uh, likewise, uh, continue with the ruqya because at the end of the day, the believing jinn or the non-believing jinn, being there is oppression. What does work with the believing jinn, however, in a very limited way, is admonition. Because you have something to make them fear Allah. So, you know, admonishing them, fear Allah. Don't you hear that Allah said this? Don't you know that Possibly. But don't let it last long. 30 seconds and then start the ruqya again. Otherwise, people spend 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 50 minutes, an hour, two, three, five hours. Wallah, leave. Bismillah, bismillah. Wallah, ya akhi al-kareem, leave. Give him an option. Leave, die. You choose. Don't make it, don't complicate the matter. Say, ittaqillah. Fear Allah and leave. I usually say, if it's a Muslim jinn, I say, ittaqillah, akhruj. Ittaqillah, wakhruj. Ittaqillah, wakhruj. Fear Allah and leave. That's it. I don't engage them in conversation. Where are you from? When did you become Muslim? You know, are your parents Muslim? Are, you know, there's no need. Ittaqillah, Tell them about zulm. The evil of dhulm, you know what Allah Azza wa Jal said about certain things to scare people, the, the wa'id, the ayat of the wa'id, surah al-safat, and you know, to really the, the ayat that scare people, you know about Jahannam. If they're a Muslim, they will, they will listen to these ayat and they will leave. But otherwise, I don't change my ruqya, I'll just go back to my regular ruqya. Say, why are you treating me like this? I'm a Muslim. I'll say, Akhi, show me, I don't know who you are. If you're a Muslim, leave. That's simple. I'm doing Rukia for myself, how to protect my kids. Uh, showing some signs like nightmare, pain in the chest. Uh, can I give Rukia water daily? Also husband with some symptoms, he's doing self-Rukia. Uh, definitely you need to nip this in the bud because it sounds like a possible oncoming case of magic. You know, whole family is starting to get a little bit affected. So it's something definitely to nip it in the bud. Um, to be honest, the answer for the kids is very similar to the adults. If they're very young, why don't you try the seven day program with them to start with? and then move up to the full Rukia program. Really nip it in the bud. If you nip it in the bud now, you may well, inshallah, get away with not having any further problems. If you're not nipping it in the bud now, it may be that the problem becomes significantly worse over time. So really do try to, to nip it in the bud. I think I've got about six left or so, so we're getting there, guys. I'm affected by jinn, but if I do Rukia on my family members, how am I supposed to keep myself safe from their shayateen? If you're affected, I recommend you do deal with your own case first. That's not a solid rule, 
because sometimes you, you just have to help someone else. But I do recommend that you try and focus mostly on your own case and then go on to help others. You know, it's a standard thing they tell you on the plane, fit your own oxygen mask before helping others, yeah? Because if you pass out, then you're not going to be able to put the oxygen mask on anyone else, are you? So the same kind of principle works, yeah? Try and deal with your own issue and then help others. And maybe you don't get rid of your issue completely, but you just get it controllable and then help others. And don't worry about the shaitan affecting you. The plot of the shaitan is ever weak. As regards the seven-day program on day four to seven, is there no bathing? No, there's no bathing. Just rukia, water, and oil application. Oil is only on the place of the pain, not on the whole body. As for recitation on water and oil, these things have to be directly under your breath or can they be kept far from you? It's better they are directly under your breath. Uh, but if you blow on them at the end, then this is enough. I used to know some of the, the, the ruqa, they read, and then at the end of the session, they go over to the table, open the bottle and blow. But I prefer to keep the bottle with me. And Allah knows best. I'm getting to that one at the end because it's a little bit long. Um, a lineage is from the father. We know this in Islam. People use Abjad and ask the mother's name. Why do they use the mother's name? I believe I mentioned this in the Rukia workshop, but if I didn't, they use the mother's name uh, for a couple of reasons. Number one, to throw doubt in your lineage. So it's as though they're saying, you know, you're a child of Zina. So we call you by your mother's name. It's a kind of a, a disgrace and an attack. And the second more prominent reason they do it is to disobey Allah. Allah said, call them by their father's names. So the magician wants to do everything possible to disobey Allah, so he calls them by their, their mother's names. What would you advise to sisters who are afflicted getting treatment but not observing hijab properly or um, shaping eyebrows, etc.? Some don't realize the seriousness of above sin. Wallah, I cannot emphasize enough to our sisters in Islam and our brothers in Islam. The sins you do are the number one reason why people do not get a cure from Rukia. Honestly, you are treating the problem on one side and topping up the problem on the other side. Sin is the number one reason. Wallahi, I believe. And I'm, I'm not even, I think there is a strong delil for this. That even if you didn't do Rukia and you just did Tawbah, you would have a huge result in terms of your sickness getting better because of the principle no calamity ever befalls a person except because of sin and it will never be raised up except by tawbah tawbah is absolutely fundamental to the success of ruqya what advice would you give to those uh, afflicted who have had the sihr cast on them by a family member who lives by with them very very good question first of all uh, we distinguish between two cases, one in which you're not sure who it is, but you have an inclination. And I believe I answered this question, uh, I have answered it several times before, but again, all these workshops merge into itself and I, themselves and I forget. Um, if you're not sure, keep the family ties, don't cut off family ties, don't have evil thoughts because Allah said, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu jtanibu kathiran min al-dhanni inna ba'd al-dhanni ithm. Keep away from a lot of suspicion. Suspicion, um, indeed, uh, some of suspicion is sin. But be cautious around them. So you still keep your family ties. You still give them salam, etc. Because you don't have a you don't have a cast iron proof. And 
at the same time, you keep your caution, your seven dates, your, you know, your ruqya before you go, your adhkar, your dhikr, and so on and so forth. Um, that's one thing. On the other side, you have a confirmed proof that this family member has done it. This is very rare. This is very, very, very rare that this happens. But um, uh, if it does happen, then again, um, if you live with the person and you can't move out for whatever reason, you need to protect yourself with the protection of Allah. And at the end of the day, uh, you see examples from the Sahaba radiallahu anhum when they were around, uh, for example, Ibn Sayyad. Uh, you know, we talked about this in Kitab Al-Fitan. Ibn Sayyad, who they thought was the Dajjal, how they used to protect themselves and try to keep themselves safe from the, uh, the Dajjal and from him. Uh, even though they were in direct contact with him. So definitely uh, seeking refuge with Allah, keeping away from the person. Abu Sa'id al-Khudri didn't like to eat the food from, the, from him. He didn't like to take the water from Ibn Sayyad. He didn't like to stay under the same tree. And he used to say, A'udhu Billah, you know, seek refuge from Allah. Uh, this is all narrated regarding Ibn Sayyad, who they thought might be the Dajjal. So likewise, if you fear someone is a magician, the similar sort of approach. Try to keep away from them and avoid them as much as you can. Tie your camel, do your dua, and do your means for protection. And if you refer to the blog article, how can I protect myself from the shaitan? That should be of some help. Okay, three more to go, guys. And then we have one last final question, uh, which is a long one. While we wipe the body and the hands, the hands are touching the clothing. Does this have an effect? Yeah, it still has an effect, even when the hands are touching the clothing. But you may want to touch the body if that's appropriate. Again, really just depend who you're doing rukya on and what area of the body it is. The method of blowing on the finger and then touching the earth uh, is the aim to have the... Maybe uh, uh, over the finger. No, the aim is to, to, to read the, uh, over the finger, to spit on the finger, uh, uh, to read, to spit on the finger, to touch the earth and then touch the patient with the finger. And there, if you read the, again, I think it's very clear if you read the notes, I think this is mentioned in, a, in considerable detail. Sure. Okay, we're getting there. Is it always a person possessed by jinn who cannot stand the words of Allah? I wouldn't say always, but certainly if it's out of character, you should suspect that. You know, like you've got a good Muslim who suddenly can't stand the Qur'an, that's pretty much a 99% confirmation. But you may have a non-Muslim who hates the Qur'an because of the disbelief in their heart, or a magician who hates the Qur'an because of the disbelief in their heart. Uh, but certainly worth looking into. So, this one is coming from a new Muslim. When I converted to Islam, uh, I uh, had a lot of, uh, I think, ta'weez and things. They, they, they uh, threw it away and they got rid of it. But they've been troubled by being, not being able to sleep. Um, uh, the, the plumbing is affected, taps and showers, switching on and off. Um, money earned is a struggle. Uh, struggling to marry, uh, no guests in the home, uh, and not being able to enter the house and getting fed up. My advice with this, uh, sincerely, Khwani, uh, first of all that the sister goes on to where do I start and starts going through the steps bit by bit uh, she deals with the uh, 
baqara in the house and all of the other things. And I also advise that she also surrounds herself with good people. You know, let the house be filled with sisters who are like-minded. You know, maybe bring a, bring a roommate into the home, a flatmate who's a practicing sister. Maybe she's living on her own. Inshallah, this will really help to get rid of the loneliness in the house and the desolation in the house. You know, the prayer in the house, reading Quran in the house, you know, having these things playing and, and, and done. This is a, a big step. And if there's any further support and advice needed, I think email will be the better way because it's hard to answer in such, an, uh, uh, such a circumstances, but that would be my general advice. Um, a lot of jealous in-laws have been subjected to meeting peers, Sufis, etc. Um, I've found a lot of ta'weed and got rid of them. Uh, however, my teacher got rid of ta'weed for me, and I'm going to just summarize this. The teacher got rid of the ta'weed for her, and the teacher had some affliction. We did say that that can happen. We said the ta'weed are pretty toxic. The teacher forgot to get rid of a couple and had some affliction. She's got some more ta'weed now and wants to get rid of them. What can you do with them? I recommend you learn to get rid of them yourself. I, I really do recommend that. If you're really struggling, then they, I don't think there's any harm that you pass them over to Kalima, inshallah. Um, without wanting to turn Kalima into a ta'weed center, it's not, it's not a disposal center. And I'm sure the Kalima staff would not want that to become a frequent thing. But if someone is really struggling and they're not able to follow the instructions, you can leave them with a note that they're for me uh, in Kalima and inshallah we'll try to get rid of them for you. But we really want you to learn how to get rid of them so that when you find the next bunch inshallah, maybe I wouldn't be here or someone else, you'll be able to get rid of them and get rid of them for other people as well. Safe handling of ta'weez, you don't have a problem. If you're not handling them safely, that's when you can become afflicted. But if the teacher doesn't want to help you again, that's okay because well, maybe they had a bad experience one time. So my last question is um, really a, a topic for a lecture, to be honest. Uh, but just a, a few points. How do we know who is a good Raqi and who is a bad one? Uh, point number one, refer to, I believe it's workshop episode number eight, the Raqi and his family. Uh, on the website uh, with Abu Ibrahim and myself. Uh, we go over a lot of things here. But basically, with Iraqi, I'm going to take you through three or four positives, three or four negatives. Positives, things you should look for. Strong adherence to the Sunnah. That means not any of these sects and groups and Sufi, Peer, whatever, this and that. Get rid of all of them. Pure Quran, Sunnah. That's the first thing you should be seeing. Strong observance of the religion, beard, the thawb, you know, the five times prayer in the masjid, uh, not if it's a woman, not uh, reading over, you know, not being, you know, hands out there to grab the woman, etc. You know, not looking at the, you know, lowering the gaze. These are really fundamental points in terms of uh, istiqamah. Uh, and also what you should look for is... Um, Someone who is going to give you a holistic answer to Rukia, not just let me read on you like a, like a factory. We have some Raqis in London. They're good, you know, they're, they're, they're upon the Sunnah. But the problem is, they treat people like, you know, they're like a factory. Now come in, Kulhu Allahu Ahad, Allah, next. You don't like that? Buy the CD at the door. You know? And I don't like that. It's not sincere, it's not right. It's not the right way. Someone who's going to spend some time with you, talk to you about the general things, about sin, about 
you know, holistic approach to Ruqya, not like just let me read on you for five minutes and then sell you a CD. You know, someone ideally who doesn't take money or if they take money, it's clear they're genuine about it. I don't mind people taking money, but it should be genuine. You know, like I, I take, you know, for example, if I, if I say, I don't know, if I say an average monthly salary, I don't know here, let's just say, let's say 10,000 dirhams, example. And a person is doing Ruqya full time and they're doing eight hours of Ruqya a day. So you take your 10,000 dirhams and you divide it by 20 uh, days. So you've got 1,000 uh, divided by two. So you've got 500 uh, dirhams a day and they're doing five hours a day. If they charged you 100 dirhams an hour, something like that, 75 dirhams an hour, then I think that is probably a reasonable way for a person, you know, a reasonable amount. And I don't know here, maybe more, maybe less, but you know, in general, you, you understand that you look at the person, you can understand why they're charging it. But when someone says they want 100,000 dirhams per session, that's a, a red flag for me. Right, red flags, anything associated with magicians, so anything associated with asking your mother's name, asking you for clothing, measuring your height, looking in teacups, fortune telling, sorcery, bring me a black sheep, bring me an albino rat, bring me, you know, any of these ajib things, slaughter the meat, put the meat on your head, flip it around, throw it in the garden, anything that is any of these clear mag magical and sorcery and fortune telling practices. Second, anything that, that gives you the impression of shirk or allowing shirk, even if it's not in the ruqya. So, for example, the person has, you know, uh, Ya Rasulullah, Ya Rasulullah, or something like that. Even if it's not during the Rukia, even if it's just written on the wall, run a mile away. Shirk is not going to help you in, in Rukia. Likewise, any bid'ah, if you see them doing a bid'ah, an open bid'ah, and I'm not talking about maybe someone falls into an error, but a, a clear bid'ah that they're doing. Oh, kids, not jinn. Okay. All right, kids I can live with. So, just wondering why this, the knocking is on the wall. But I think the kids are trying to give us some atmosphere. Khair, um, inshallah. Red flags, likewise, if you see um, uh, anything relating to bid'ah, even in the person's, you know, the, the prayer, the weird things they're doing, they're doing some weird, like, uh, celebrations and mawlid and all of these things, run a mile away. Because they're not going to benefit you anything. It'll be rejected and it won't benefit you anything. Uh, other red flags, um, anything that seems to you to be uncomfortable, weird, or incomprehensible. Really, I emphasize this. You go in and you feel uncomfortable. That for me is a red flag. It might be that the Raqi is just very aggressive. You know, I mean, I'm different from my, uh, my Rukia partner. He's a bit more aggressive than me. He won't mind me saying that. He's a bit more kind of aggressive than I am. I'm a bit softer in the approach. Um, everyone's different. But if you feel really uncomfortable, especially with regard to mahram issues, women issues, you know, like, and you feel that, you're, you know, the guys in your personal space, you feel really uncomfortable, that for me is a red flag. Even if it doesn't mean the person is necessarily bad, but it's definitely, a, let me ask about this. You know, some of the sisters will come and say, look, he told me, you know, take off your hijab and he put hand on my stomach and this and that happened. That for me is a red flag. You know, you run a mile away. Even if he's Quran and Sunnah all the way, you know, you run a mile away if he's doing that. 
so anything that makes you feel uncomfortable, anything that seems weird, you know, you might not be able to put your finger on it, but istefti qalbak, we've talked about this, ask your heart, you, you feel unsettled, you're just looking thinking, you know, what he's doing now is really strange, uh, you know, it just, he's tying something, or he's looking with something, or he's flicking his fingers, I'm, I just, you know, something's weird, ask about it. And uh, finally, anything incomprehensible. The biggest trick the magician will play, pose the Rocky and just do some incomprehensible stuff. So, like this. Yeah, you can't hear what they're saying. If you can't understand every word that they are saying, leave. Don't even stay and say, I'll have one session. Just say, I'm sorry, I feel I have to go. And just go. And then ask later, you can always apologize and come back if you were wrong. But subhanAllah, don't take the risk. If you see anything like that, you run a mile away. Or you see someone is reading like, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Like this, yeah? Anything you can't understand, any whisperings, any strange writings, get out. Likewise, if they give out ta'weed, even if they give out ta'weed from the page of the Mus'haf, run a mile away. Those are my red flags. They're not the only things. If you refer to, I think it's workshop number eight, maybe, which refers to the Rocky and his family. We talked about quite a few more uh, issues. That is what Allah has made easy for us. Uh, we've been here now oh, an hour and a half or so. So I think that is more than enough, guys, inshallah. Um, if you have any further questions, what should you do? What I honestly recommend you do is um, store them in your mind for the next Rocky workshop. Uh, if you have a burning question you must have an answer for, email me. I prefer you email me on my personal email rather than Kalima because we'd like to keep Kalima for the new Muslims and you know the, the Dawah activities. I'd rather you email me on my personal email which is on muhammadtim.com, M-U-H-A-M-M-A-D-T-I-M.com or if you want the short URL, mtim.me. There's a short URL because I give up spelling Muhammad. M followed by Tim followed by dot followed by M-E that's just a redirect it redirects to the proper name if you're struggling with the spelling uh, and uh, the contact details are on there um, uh, yeah send it to my personal email I'd rather because I deal with all my rookie cases there it's easier than getting Kelima you know Kelima has been very 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 generous and kind to allow us to do these workshops here originally we had a very clear agreement no rookie no rukia advice, no rukia. So, alhamdulillah, things are moving in the right direction with that. Uh, so, just don't burden Kalima too much. And please, a personal request. Don't, please, 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 don't burden the Kalima staff. Receptionists, uh, the brothers in admin with rukia questions and queries. They're not here for this. They're here to help non-Muslims become Muslim and new Muslims to become firm in Islam. They're not here to answer your rukia queries. You know, Brother Pervez gets a hard time, yeah, from my rookie queries. People phoning him up, where's Muhammad Tim? I want an appointment today. Why you don't give me an appointment today? Give me one today. Phone up after five minutes. Where's Muhammad Tim? He doesn't answer my email. He didn't answer my question. Ikhwan, if you have a problem with that, you speak to me directly. Don't, don't burden the brother. He has enough uh, issues to deal with as it is. And a lot of people really, and he, sometimes I will put my foot down. And if I put my foot down, you won't like it. And I, I will put my foot down if I see people going to excess in this, disturbing Kalima staff, um, you know, turning up at the center and, and disturbing the receptionist and the admin staff, 
making difficulties for them, saying, I demand to have Rukia. You know, people being awkward. You know, people were saying, if you don't answer my question, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. Uh, that's n I'm not going to accept that. And I just won't answer your question. You know, simply, that simple. Uh, you Appointments do come from time to time. Be patient with us. We have a lot of stuff going on. New Muslim Summit is going on. I'm here, really, for the new Muslims. And this is a side thing to help out people, inshallah. So please don't, don't I don't mind burdening me, but try not to let it spread to the wider Kenima so that Kenima just becomes an unofficial Rukia center and it's just full of patients all the time. Now, try to be considerate of the needs of the center uh, and hopefully that will allow them to keep letting us do these kind of events. Otherwise, the fear is if they see that being a problem, they will stop these events happening. And they will stop the questions and stop the emails and stop the support and stop the workshops and so on and so forth. We don't want that to happen. But you have to help yourselves. And that means, you know, I mean, already Pervis maybe dealt last week with at least five Rukia cases sort of he was having to deal with on the phone. It's not nice. I mean, try and, try and push them to me. I have an email for that purpose. I read my emails very frequently. I might not answer them quickly, uh, but I do read them. So if anyone's saying like, you know, I'm about to jump off a building, then, you know, usually uh, I get my emails relatively frequently. And, you know, from time to time, every, you know, hour or couple of hours, I flick through them and I read. So, you know, don't, email is, is a good way to contact. I may not reply um, because I'm very, very busy, but I do, you know, I do kind of keep an eye on what's going on, inshallah. So I am aware when people send me questions, inshallah. Okay, so I think we'll wrap it up there, guys. Jazakumullah khairan for your patience. And sorry for not being able to take any further questions on this, but we have to, at some point, draw the line. Can I just remind everyone about New Muslim Summit? Two things we need from you. Uh, we need new Muslims, obviously, hence being a new Muslim Summit. We need uh, a lot of new Muslims. So if you have any new Muslims in contact with you in the UAE, the, then it is the, uh, the 29th and the 30th, the 29th from 8 p.m. on a Thursday, and then all day on the 30th, uh, English language is in the afternoon. Uh, the morning programs are in Ethiopian, Nepali, and Chinese. So there are, there, there are flyers outside. There are timetables outside. There's a website, newmuslimsummit.com. All of it is there. Please, please, please bring new Muslims. We want you to bring new Muslims. You all know one or two new Muslims, even if they're old new Muslims. Yeah? Like... Try to bring as many as you can. And the second thing we need from you is to bring non-Muslims to the specific non-Muslim Q&A session, which is taking place on Friday, I believe between 4 and 7 roughly. Uh, there is a, a non-Muslim Q&A session. Please bring non-Muslim friends who are interested in Islam, colleagues, co-workers to that. If they can't come to that, there will be people throughout the summit available to answer their questions uh, about Islam. We're going to get together and try and make this a really successful event. We need your help after the help of Allah Azzawajal, to make that possible. So please do, uh, you know, do help us out if you can, inshallah, uh, by bringing people, telling people about it, spreading the word, put it on your Facebook, your Twitter, and all the rest, and uh, Instagram, etc., and just spread it out to people. Let people know in the UAE this summit is happening. It's there for them. We want to break the record for the number of new Muslims and non-Muslims who attend this year, inshallah, and we want to keep that going year after year, inshallah. So jazakumullahu khayran wa barakallahu feekum. Uh, wassalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Shadu an la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk.